So it's, um, it's a special time to come on retreat these days in our world to take time to pause, to press the pause button. It's really rare, actually, to do that. You know, everything's going so quickly. And so it's really beautiful that you all decided to come and press that button and to slow down and to listen and to connect, to be together. I was thinking a lot about the sacred feminine and and what that means earlier today. For a long time I was contemplating. And some of you also may be wondering, what does this mean? You know, this way of the sacred feminine. What does it even mean to be feminine? What does that word even mean? Is it, you know, often we grow up and we think, well, we get handed a Barbie doll at a young age and think, oh, is this it? You know? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, there's no role models for this way of being because it's definitely not the Barbie doll. That That's definitely not it. And also, what does sacred mean? So we put these two together, and it's a kind of confusing. Some of you may be feeling that. Well, what is this? What is this way of being? I don't know, really, yet. I'm in this place of discovering what this means. And all I know is that it feels right to be with women, and then a couple of years ago, it started to become this driving force to gather with women. It became strong, almost like a drum beat that was growing, you know, louder and louder and louder. And so in the East Bay at our center in downtown Oakland, I started gathering women together. I'd put out these calls, you know, and also would call it the sacred feminine. And I would do different groups. Sometimes I would, I would feel a call to do it with women of African-American ancestry like myself for us to gather and and different groups of just women, women, women. And sometimes I wouldn't know what we would do when we would sit, come sit for a day together. I would have a few things planned, but I would be very spontaneous and feel what needed to be spoken, what needed to be bared witness to, what needed to be shared. And it was very beautiful. And more and more is this call to... I think it's about maybe empowering ourselves in a different way or discovering something. And this last couple of years, also it's been this uh, sense of real connectedness with the plight of women around the world. You know, and I noticed that I would, my room, I have this big altar and it's getting bigger and bigger because there's more pieces on it, more little vigils. So I hold a a vigil for the women in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where they have the highest amount of rapes in the world. So I have a little piece of my altar for them. And then the women who are trying to drive in Saudi Arabia, and they're facing terrible beatings by just driving, and yet gathering in huge groups to just drive and they know they're going to be arrested and they're doing it and by the hundreds. And there they get lashings, you know, with a 
some kind of whip so they endure this and then they they release from jail and get back in the car and drive again right and and then these another place on my altar is for these girls in India who recently you might have seen this in the newspapers or on the internet who 500 of them went to a renaming ceremony it was so beautiful these sweet faces these beautiful girls who were when they were born, given the names like unwanted. Could you imagine that being your name? And this beautiful woman said, it's time we rename them. And they let them pick their own names. And of course, they pick these Lakshmi and, you know. And they were so proud of themselves. And so I feel like there's some kind of something happening where I'm connected to this around the world, where I feel that we are connected to women being valued and loved. I care about this deeply. I care about how we love ourselves, but also how women around the world, what, what are, how are they living? So I feel connected to this. So my altar is huge in each piece. Is I hold that and I light candles and I, I think of these people. And so compassion is a part of it. And also wisdom. You know, as we sit here and we have this beautiful statue of Prajna Paramita, the perfection of wisdom. And when I look at this statue, I, I feel into this lineage and I feel that these are my ancestors, these wise women. And I see her and I think, this is my grandmother. And uh, we are the, the daughters and the granddaughters of the awakened ones even if we don't realize why we came here. Some people just, you know, happen, I didn't know, this just fit my schedule. Oh, it's women? Oh, that's interesting. Well, <laughs> the universe is um, giving you a message <laughs> in that nobody has a, a, arrived in this circle without it being clearly a cause. And that this stopping isn't just a, a regular stopping. It's also, oh, stop and look around. Who are we sitting with? And what does this mean for our time? You know, and, it, and as I said, I don't know all the answers, but I know it's an urgency inside of me. And some of you may be feeling the same urgency, not knowing where it's rooted from, but what, what's happening. But there's some kind of draw to stand up taller, to be heard, to be recognized. You know, this beautiful, compassionate vulnerability that we carry is a powerful, a powerful, you could say, weapon. (laughs) It's not a weakness to be soft and compassionate. So we are here discovering something together and Honestly, it's together. We learn from each other the stories that we share, the stories that the women tell me in Oakland about their lives, the stories of my own mothers and my grandmother, their, their struggles and oppression and racism. And then we have the stories of Prajnaparamita and Tara and the awakened ones pushing us onward, upward. Right? There's a certain flow of, we can do it. There's a momentum happening. 
I love Joanna Macy. She's a teacher here and an elder, and she teaches ecology and systems theory. And she always gives us teaching on the great turning. And often she'll say, spring, the wheel is turning. <laughs> you know, times are, are turning. And there's a certain, again, I'm going to use that word, urgency in, in paying attention right now. And I think this is what this pause is about. Are we listening? And this is the school of life is happening. Are we alert to that? You know, are we, are we, are we here? And I think this is the, the great call in some way is to be here, is for us in huge numbers to wake up, to listen. Listen to Gaia, feel the earth, listen to what's happening, to be alive. And then to be of service to ourselves and others. I wanted to talk about wisdom tonight talk about it from uh, a piece written by another teacher. And this is a teaching that's kind of a cutting through teaching, but I like it. I feel that it's appropriate for this time. So I'll read it to you, and then I'm going to refer back to it throughout this talk. But it's about wisdom and letting go. Written by Jennifer Wellwood. It's called The Dakini Speaks. So she writes, My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed, as though life had broken our secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. And she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion is exquisitely precise. Brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. (laughs) Quite dramatic, huh? (laughs) This is kind of the sword coming in. (laughs) I like this, even though it's to the point. I heard this in February. I was on retreat here, and it's just stuck in my mind ever since, and I'd like to teach on this teaching of impermanence and letting go. And the first line, my friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. (laughs) Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. So this waking up is challenging, huh? (laughs) 
Even sitting here in the quiet, the mind just gets lost again and again. Have you noticed? (laughs) With all somebody leading the meditation and all of us committed, still the mind getting lost. Like it's so hard to wake up and be present. But we're doing it moment by moment. And I think that this is the, the biggest medicine that the Buddha's teaching has to offer for us is this being present. And there's something uh, happens in the present moment. I'm, I'm writing a book about healing now, and I'm writing about the present moment and how there's something that when we learn to rest in the present moment, there's this power, there's this like exchange. You know, as, as if we tell the universe, here I am, I'm available, I'm paying attention, right? And what we do is we, when we're in the present moment, insight arises, Clarity arises and there's some kind of opening that starts to happen. It's quite magical in some way. How is it that we sit here and we be, we're present and the whole of the Dharma starts to unravel? Your heart starts to open, right? You couldn't stop it if you wanted to. Right? There's something beautiful about that. So we start to get interested in that versus the stories in the mind. My stories in my mind are so boring now. Yeah. I've thought them so many times. You know, if you, were, if you were to play a movie 50 billion times in your DVD player, you'd go, no, no, right, someone brings that movie. But it's somehow here, it's just interesting, million time and a million time. But I have noticed that pretty soon it, being present is a lot more interesting. Right? At first it's the stories, Right? But after some time, when we start to really feel into the present and the power of the present moment, there's this longing for that. There's this longing for here, now, connection. Right? And that becomes, I think, the interesting place to explore. So next week I leave for a five-month meditation retreat up in the mountains in Crestone, Colorado. And I'm doing this to explore the present moment. How much of the present moment can I live in, right? <laughs> Before I want to turn it off, right? And it's not easy to do long retreat like that. It's not, but I know what I want to do is to familiarize myself more and more with here, now. That more and more that is the place that's dynamic, that is a place that is whole, That is the place where I'm alive. And so I want to wake up now more than ever. And so that becomes a motivator, a funny joke. To me, this joke was, I laughed for a really long time. So, you know, the far side comics. Uh, I think the, the, the originator of this, I think he's passed away now. But anyway, so this, you probably can't see it from here, but um, a lot of the Far Side comics have animal jokes in there, and especially a lot around cows. Uh, you may have noticed that. And so on this Far Side comic, there's cows in a pasture, right, grazing. There's like maybe four of them. And so one of the cows lifts his head up, and he goes, Hey, wait a minute. This is grass. We've been eating grass. It's like, da the dawn of wisdom. <laughs> Other cows are like, grass, right? (laughs) 
And I love this so, this made me laugh so hard because isn't that it? We, we have these insights and we're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm here, I'm alive. You know, we have these kind of moments of realization. For this cow, it was grass. Just our whole lives, we've been eating this. We finally understand something about this, right? And this is how we are, you know, with insight. Right? It just dawns in the mind, oh my gosh. This is how it is. This is what's going on. Right? And that all comes through paying attention. You know? And then we can't imagine how we made it before. Right? How did I not know? And then we, we allow ourselves to keep going with that. The, the, the depths of the opening, the stages of insight, the path of liberation. You know, of, of more wisdom. So we start to wake up and notice. Look, everything that can't be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. But let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed. So you know when things don't go our way, we do act betrayed, don't we? (laughs) There's a sense of... Flying, falling on the bed, screaming, why? Right? And we take it all very personally, right? When things don't happen the way we want them to, or when things fall apart. I love Pema Chodron's book, When Things Fall Apart. You know, it's all about letting go. By the way, that was one of the most popular Buddhist books ever written. So you can see we're all in some collective thing together, When Things Fall Apart. Who's dealing with something falling apart right now? So many people are, right? When are they not falling apart? There's some illusion that somehow we can hold things together, right? That we could get, if we're very spiritual, we can align our life somehow where it's perfect and each moment is more beautiful than the next moment, right? And we can be the architect of that and let's push this suffering over here and I drink enough wheatgrass, my body surely will be perfect at all times, never cold, right? And there's this illusion that we can kind of patchwork it all, right? And then when it falls apart, there's this suffering like, well, why? What did I do wrong? You know, my partner left me. I got fired. I was so great. Why? Why? You know, so this is the kind of shock of it. But I... I'm generous. How could this have... Who would have stolen my tires, right? We, we sort of get... <laughs> this, we sort of have this... And I think there's some deep waking up that this is how life is here. <laughs> right? Everything's happening to everybody. Everything is happening to everybody. No one's exempt from that. Right? So if you come here on the planet... <laughs> something's going to happen, things are going to fall apart, right? And, it, and in a way it's funny, but in another level it's a deep truth to this. Because then we stop grasping, we stop being shocked when things go wrong. We get out of bed, we stub our toe. We don't scream and wonder why, today it's a stub toe, that's how it is right now. There's some kind of peace that comes with that. You know, somewhere in my life, I've been through so many things that I, I stopped looking for perfection. And in that not looking for it to be perfect, I'm okay with the cracks. 
I'm okay with taking a walk and then there's a beer can on the ground. Right? It's like, oh, this is how it is right now. You know, this is part of life in some way. And so we have, we have to learn to grieve our losses fully because everything is impermanent. This was a core teaching of the Buddha. Things come together, they dance for a while, and then they separate. And then something else comes together, and it's for a while, and it separates. And there's this flow of life that it's moving, it's a stream. So let's not act so betrayed. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. Wow, that's hard to grasp, yeah? (laughs) It's like, oh no. So there's a hard and a soft edge to impermanence. The hardness is what we feel like we're losing. You know, the aging process. I love that so many of my friends right now are in their 70s. There's so much wisdom there about everything. And I have a friend who came to my house recently and um, she came to have dinner and there was some elder women that I had invited and I made soup for them and food and, and just people in my community I've been wanting to honor. And so it was just beautiful to have them. So they were talking about this aging process. And um, so uh, one of my friends, she's 74. She just turned 74. And so she said, Spring, I want to show you something. And she took off her shirt. Yeah, this was a, quite a shock in the living room. And uh, she said, now look, look very closely, look very closely here. And so I did. I looked very closely. And she said, see how my back is now bent? Look, look very at that, look very closely at that. And so I looked at that. And it was, it was like she was turning into a tree. There was things growing there. It was back into the elements. I, I, I said, oh my gosh. And the joy and laughter in her face. It wasn't, I'm going to fight this process. The battle, it was over. This is the way things are, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I so appreciated that. There was tears in my eyes that she wasn't ashamed. You know, many people hide something like that as if something was being done to them, right? Like, but she was saying, look at me. Yeah, look at the skin. Look at, look at what this is. Yeah, you, the, you too. You too. Like, and I looked and I just hugged her for a long time and said, thank you. Thank you for letting me see truth in such a deep way. And that is a cutting through. That there's nothing to be sorrowful in aging. It's the way it is the ultimate letting go, right? As women, can we dance, the dance of no hope with that, (laughs) right? How much of our life goes into resisting that, the suffering in that, right? But what if we just surrendered and we danced that, right? Here I am turning into a tree right before my eyes, right? (laughs) Beautiful, Let's not act betrayed. This is the journey. It happens to everybody. Right? We're all getting old together. <laughs> There's no one exempt from that process. Again, this is happening to everyone. So this idea of impermanence is pure wisdom, pure freedom in that. It's non-clinging. It's seeing that we have to learn to let go, that we can dance with letting go. 
So a few months back, I got a call from um, someone named Barbara, who's the editor of The Inquiring Mind. The Inquiring Mind is, um, some of you might have seen it, it's a, a, a Vipassana journal, and it has really beautiful articles. Many of the teachers here have written articles in it, and it has a, the latest news and retreats, and there'll be some out at the end of this retreat on the tables. And she called me and she said, Spring, we're doing a piece on enlightenment. Um, would you write something for it? And I thought, oh, enlightenment, no, you know, I don't have anything for that right now. <laughs> and she said, no, no, we really want your voice in, we really want your voice in. Anyway, it's 500 words, a little short piece, can you come up with something? So I, thought, I said, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And she was very persistent for some reason, right? So I thought, okay, she keeps calling, all right, let me think about this. And then I thought, oh, I know of one story. I know of this one story. And so I, I wrote that. And so uh, the story was, happened when I was on retreat with a friend of mine. We went for just two days. We wanted to go up to this cabin. A friend had this beautiful cabin up in the mountains. And we were going to go just practice there, the two of us. Um, and so we set everything up and brought food. And it was the first day, and we were out on the decks. There was a beautiful yard and trees, and there was decks. And, and I was sitting, and, and he was doing walking meditation, and we were in silence. And as he was doing walking meditation, I had this huge insight. It dawned on me in that moment as I looked around, and I saw him walking slowly by. And the insight arose from somewhere very, very deep inside, and it said this. It said, hello, goodbye. And in a flash, I remember thinking, oh, in this moment is hello, goodbye. Yes, hello, goodbye. This, And then I looked around at all, everything that was there in the house and the, the animals and the plants and the trees, and I thought, oh, this too is hello, goodbye. And then suddenly it was everything in my whole world, everybody that I ever knew, each moment was hello, goodbye, hello, goodbye, hello. And for a long time I just stood there and I didn't realize for some time that my face was flooded with tears. There was just this poignance to this. Of I started to think about everything that has ever been born on this planet and has passed and and all the beings who have lived and have gone in each moment of our lives, we meet something and it's hello, and then we meet and it's goodbye. We have a parting at some point. People who are born and then die, hello, goodbye. And everything was hello, goodbye. And I remember this poignancy to, to everything. And I tried to tell my friend, wait, stop, you've got to understand this hello, goodbye, I've had an insight. <laughs> And he was kind of going, okay, okay. And I remember going home and everything was hello, goodbye. I remember being in Golden Gate Park and seeing a little cat and thinking hello, goodbye, or flowers through the cracks in the cement and seeing them and thinking hello. And this, it was so ecstatic. I'm, I almost couldn't bear it. And I thought, this is, must be what an enlightened person feels like. They must see hello, goodbye every second. And I started to understand all the, the wanderers down on the, the Ganges and people in these ecstatic state. I thought, they must be seeing hello, goodbye. No wonder they can't function. You know, they just <laughs> seeing hello, goodbye. There's nothing to do anymore. You just sit there, you know. And after two or three days, it went back. Thank goodness, because I couldn't actually handle living with that much 
it was as if my heart was just being touched every second. It was as I, I, I couldn't cope. So eventually what happened was it, it was like a window opened. And I saw something so deeply of this hello, goodbye, that I started to appreciate everything because it was going. And all my friends in my life that I would see and they would call and they would think, hi. Or people who would just show up at the door like, oh, well, who's this? You know, hello. You know, and whatever manifestation of creation is appearing. Hello. Goodbye. It's impermanent. And so then, you know, I went back to my normal mode of being. But something very deep loosened in my awareness, in my mind. I wasn't clinging as much. I was appreciating the truth of hello, goodbye. I was appreciating impermanence. Like, oh, do not take this for granted. Right? Do not take these people for granted, these experiences for granted. This is so beautiful what's manifesting. We all have gathered here and we have an intention and on Sunday it will be goodbye. And this circle will disperse Beings will fly to wherever they go, drive. And this particular uh, experience won't be the same. It was like this for this time. And that's sort of the poignancy of life, those, those moments. So it was very beautiful. So impermanence is life's only promise to us. She keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child she seems cruel, but she is only wild and her compassion is exquisitely precise. Brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. So on retreat we often have to deal with a lot of impermanence. All day long you might notice your mind on quite a roller coaster, happy, sad, bored, this, that, right? How many mind states have you had today? How many experiences, right? Just today alone, right? How many realms, how many stories, how many, you know, the, we're the hero that in one moment and, oh, the victim in the next, and then we're back and, yes, right? Loving ourselves and then hating ourselves and then judging others and then judging ourselves for judging, oh, again and again and again and again. And it's all changing, right? And so on retreat, we come to look at our mind closely. What is all of this? Story after story, appearing, disappearing, more, disappearing, right? And we take birth into these mind states. And so it's important that we learn to get wise with the mind itself. What is going on, right? Like, what is all this? We start to turn around, instead of being caught in it, we start to observe, you know, so like, I love that. We often use the analogy of the movie projector. So, you know, you go to the movies and it all appears on the screen and there's sound effects and lights and whole stories on the screen, right? People falling in love or fighting or killing each other and whole, and we might feel very emotional watching it and, oh my God, you know, there's, this is going on and, and we get very invested in it. But if you're just to turn around and look, it's just lights being projected in images, There's nothing happening, yet there's something happening. Have you ever thought about like the movie, nothing's happening, yet something is happening? So we learn to be with that, to look into that. 
And on retreat, what you'll notice is these hindrances come all the time in many forms dancing about, right? And so I just want to speak to them for for a moment because you might encounter these. You probably have all day on some level. (laughs) Or you will on, on many retreats that you sit in the future. And so these are mind states. So you may notice as you're sitting, has anyone had any cravings today? <laughs> wanting mind, wanting a latte, wanting a new cushion, wanting yoga clothes to look a certain way, wanting, wanting something, right? Before I can be here in this moment, I just need to go get X, Y, Z. That's it. It's the mind state of that. I, then I can relax if I have this. Right? So this is sort of the desire realm. Or we desire experiences. Right? Sometimes I love one of the teachers, Sharon Salzberg, she used to say when she first came to practice that she used to have this deep desire to be filled up with white light and be floaty and all, you know, have these like mystical experiences. <laughs> and she'd be sitting with knee pain and boredom going, well, where's the light? Right? Well, you know, so we have craving for experiences, right? Some people are here and they might be crying or having big openings. They wish they were calm. Some people who are calm think, well, look at the person next to me crying and going, I want that. Right? So we're always wanting. It's the mind that wants. Grasping, clinging, wanting something other than what is in this moment. The opposite of this, which is sort of the opposite of the exact same coin, is aversion. It's, I have to get rid of this before I can relax. Right? So there's a sound a mile away. <laughs> Think, I've got to turn this off. I've got to fix this. It's the mindset of aggression. This is no to something that arises in the mind. So often they say on retreats, the vipassana vendetta, arises, or somehow some poor being on our retreat is the manifest of everything that's wrong with the world, right? And this one, and we don't know this person. (laughs) Maybe we saw them getting tea one day and felt suspicious how they walked. (laughs) I don't know who this is here, but it's not right. (laughs) I mean, I can remember one time doing this on a three-month course when I was very young to this woman. Just for some reason, she just became just, just, you know, I just projected onto this woman. And at the end of the retreat, she came up and was crying, telling me how much she loved me. I kid you not. And not only that, I found out that she was uh, a baby doctor and was, you know, like, worked with baby. And I was just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Everything I had thought was wrong. She, she wasn't mean-spirited. She had pain, and it would make her face look grumpy. I mean, these are, we just don't know when we're judging people. We have no clue about them. I've seen this. I was so humbled, and I wept for a long time for myself because of that. We're not punished for our anger. We're punished by it. There's a really big difference there. And so aversion is sort of this angry mindset of it just wants to get rid of. It's the pushing away experience. I don't want to feel this, right? So we get enraged. I don't want to be with this anymore. 
I've sat with this enough. I don't want to think about my ex so-and-so another time. And then we get aggressive with it, right? It's that. And then also while we're on retreat, we get these energies a lot when we're trying to meditate. Now again, these are called hindrances because they hinder our ability to be present when we're not aware. But when we're aware, we're fine. We just have to work with it. Energies are, you might have noticed, sloth and torpor. Often so the head, everyone starts going like this. I haven't really heard much snoring in the hall, but it's very common actually. It's sleepiness, right? They say that with a sloth that you could fire a gun by their head and they would barely notice. Like a, and often in National Geographic, you'll see a sloth, an Australian sloth, and they'll be awake for a moment. And it'll get one hand on a tree, and then right before another hand falls asleep. (laughs) It's that mind, right? So often we have to wake up that mind, right? When I get into these fall, it's almost like I fall into fogginess, right? And so we just need to name it. Ah, this is sloth mind, sinking mind. This is torpor mind. Okay, we open our eyes. We bring in energy, right? Often we are exhausted, but as the retreat goes on, we get less. We might notice more energy. So with the sloth, we name it. We observe it. What is this energy? This actually runs our life. It's deeply unconscious. It's a part of the mind that's asleep. I once had a dream that there was these parts of my mind where all these people were asleep on couches. <laughs> and there was some being coming around with flashlights going, wake up, and making everyone put on shorts and run outside. And I remember thinking, that was so interesting. I think I'm... Waking up, there was a dream. Parts of my mind were, there was sleeping people in there, you know, and it's kind of, wake up, wake up, pay attention. You know, so we, we get up, we, we brighten the mind again, right? With not aversion, we just use the strategies. We stand up in the hall, we open the eyes, we do walking meditation faster, right? We work with the energy. And then the opposite is restlessness. It's the... It's that energy that makes you want to scream and run straight out of this hall, right? It's, the, it's too much energy. So these are the energy the body goes through all day. Restless, sleepy, restless, sleepy, right? You know, you might have seen this in yourself. This is what we work with. So we, restlessness, we open to the energy of that, right? It's actually beautiful in some way because it's pure energy if we can, if we can alchemize it. So we might need to go outside and expand a little bit, right? We notice the mind, we kind of slow down. The qigong is great for restlessness. We might have to go for a little quicker walk, right? Do a little bit of, do some yoga, a little more vigorous. And then we just allow it, we name it. Naming it is everything. We start running when we name things, right? This is the part that when we know what's going on, we've already won the battle, because often we get running around, we don't know what's happening, what's wrong, I don't know, that kind of mind, and we just spiral. It's like, oh, well, what is happening? This is the waking up part. What's happening? Oh, I'm restless. I'm bored. And I'd like a brownie, right? <laughs> oh, great. Wanting, boredom. And then already we're fine on some level. If we can just open to that, right? Oh, okay, this is what's happening, so restlessness is part of it. And then the last hindrance that we deal with, again, these are very impermanent, these mind states, is doubt. 
Doubt is also big. Doubt is huge, actually. I think doubt is, for women, it just takes us out at the knees, <laughs> right? And it, it kind of masquerades as wisdom. It, it, it shows like, well, what are you doing here? How is this going to help your life? Who are these teachers anyway? I don't know if I should be doing retreat right now. Maybe I should go Sufi dancing. Yes, that was the practice that helped my friend get over blah, blah, blah. Or we start doubting. I don't know, is it liberation? Oh, this is, we just start getting a lot of doubt about everything. The, the path, the teaching, the where we are, who we are. And so what happens with that is we run to recognize it right away and have patience with these hindrances. You need a lot of patience through your whole journey, by the way. Right? To work with the insanity of the mind takes a lot of compassion and a lot of patience, which are two qualities that we innately have as women, I think, more than other people. More, because we just have that. Have you noticed? If you raise children, you need patience. Funny story, I can remember my mother, who is so amazing in so many ways. She had a very abusive childhood. I mean, incredibly. It was My grandfather would have been in prison for what he did to his family. But my mother never acted that out with, uh, with her children. But I can remember my whole life when I was, I was, when I was young, I was very rambunctious. That's putting it mildly. I was bratty, very bratty. My favorite word was no, you know, screaming no a lot. And so my mother would often be trying to help me you know, get, she'd need to go to work. And she was a single parent and just very, a lot of stress. But I can remember my whole life, my mother going like this, patience, and this growl sound. <laughs> so instead of smacking, you know, me or, or my sisters or whatever, just that she would just growl this fierceness, patience, patience. <laughs> And then it would be like this magic spell came over her. Okay, let's go. <laughs> and this, this, that was so wise. I often tell her that now. And she's like, oh God, yes. I developed this so much with you, you know. Because I was determined not to be abusive. I wasn't going to do that. She made every commitment. And so she had to work with her mind. So patience, saying patience at any one moment is like a bomb. It's, a, it's like, if you incorporate patience and compassion, there's nothing we can't conquer with those two, right? We endure. Well, what is this mind state? Okay, heartbreak. It's not going to last forever. This is the beauty of impermanence. Whatever you're going through, it will be gone, right? It appears, it disappears. This is the beauty of impermanence. A story. A man observed a woman in a grocery store with a three-year-old girl in her basket. As they passed the cookie section, the little girl asked for cookies, and her mother told her no. The little girl immediately began to whine and fuss, and the mother said quietly, Now, Monica, we just have half the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset. It won't be long. Soon they came to the candy aisle, and the little girl began to shout loudly for candy. When told she couldn't have any, she began to cry loudly. The mother said, there, there, Monica. Don't cry. Only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. When they got to the checkout stand, the little girl immediately began to clamor for gum and burst into a horrible tantrum upon discovering 
there'd be no gum purchased. The mother patiently said, Monica, we'll be through this checkout stand in five minutes, and then you can go home and have a nice nap. The man followed them out to the parking lot and stopped the woman to compliment her. I couldn't help how notice how patient you were with little Monica, he began. Whereupon the woman said, I'm Monica. My little girl's name is Tammy. <laughs> So it is like that sometimes, isn't it? We just hang on until it passes, basically, right? (laughs) Everything passes. This is so great news, isn't it? This is the heart of the Dakini Speaks piece. It all passes. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. And this is where we, we do make deals, don't we? <laughs> that comes with a lot of suffering, too. Making deals for safe passage. There's some part of us that has to get willing to throw ourselves on the altar <laughs> a little bit. You know, in this courageousness that comes. So I was talking the other night about the, the, the women who won the Nobel Peace Prize. So there were three women this year, in 2011, nominated. They shared the Nobel Peace Prize. And, and the Nobel uh, Laureate Committee, they declared that women's rights were vital for world peace. And they said, these three women are outstanding. And one was Ellen Johnson Sirlath, and she was the first woman elected in Africa to be a head of state of a country. She was elected the uh, president of Liberia. And then Lima Gabawi, she was this Liberian woman. Ah, Just this woman inspires me so much, her courage. So basically in 2003, Liberia was in the grips of a terrible civil war, one of the ones that is beyond horror, right, of the atrocities and child soldiers and people going from place to place harming the women, mostly the women and children suffering. And so she rallied a group of women, and she said, we are going to wear white, and we are going to sit in this field, and we are going to pray. And they made this beautiful film about her that I hope all of you watch. It's called How We Prayed the Devil Back to Hell. And they wore white, and they, and they gathered the Christian women and the Muslim women together. And they said, let us unite here as women to protect our children. And they all agreed. Thousands of them started to gather in this field. They stopped working. They just went on a permanent strike. They said, we we're just sick of it. We don't want this war anymore. Right? And, and they had this president who was just brutal, just so brutal. And so not only that, they decided to do a sex strike with the men. They said, since we're in prayer all day long, we're wearing white, we will not have sex until this war is over. (laughs) 
And so the men didn't know what to do, right? And they thought, oh my God, more of these women every day are joining these other women. It's thousands and thousands and thousands. And then, and uh, they went and, and they helped to take on the government. And they ended it. They ended this war there. And it was just so remarkable. And they faced death so many times. I mean, basically they sat in the line of the, a huge army with machetes coming towards them. And they said, okay, ladies, if this is it, we can't live like this anymore. We might as well just die then because we can't stomach this war another day. And they were willing and the men saw them and something happened. They turned back, right? So this is, again, is the power. And then the great Yemen woman, Tawakul Karman, they're calling her the mother of the revolution in Yemen, a journalist, so brave, risking everything to write stories about human rights and about women. They said that she started the whole Arab Spring uprising. They're all attributing to her and her courageous voice. And so let us be brave in some way coming into the future, brave in meeting our own heart and mind, right? The worst thing that's going to happen to us in this journey of liberation is we meet our mind. (laughs) In the end, the Buddhas... And Prajnaparamitas, they sit down and it's a chess game, mind to mind. Who's going to win? Delusion or compassion? Right? In the end, it's just that. And then we become courageous when we can overcome the hindrances. We get strong and powerful. So as women, we have so much, so much to say, so much to do. We make up 3.5 billion people here on this planet. And you here in this room are some of the most privileged. We are the most privileged that we could come here, right, and explore ourselves. So many other women wish they they could be here. And so I, I, I say this last piece just to inspire us to keep going for the benefit of others, to be courageous, to heal what we need to heal, and that we keep moving forward, that we keep supporting the next generation. I care a lot about the future generations of women on this planet. I think, what are we leaving them? How will it be for them? So let's stop making deals for safe passage. There isn't one anyway. The cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. (laughs) What does the dance of no hope look like? It's when we give up thinking that someone else can do our work for us. Right? We give up on the the Barbie ideal. (laughs) No hope for that, right? We give up hope that somehow a relationship will <laughs> liberate us. So we, give up, we just start giving up hope on these crazy things that we've always thought, right? And we think the way, the way is in. The way is through the present moment, right? The way is through. So I'd like to end this uh, talk tonight with one of my favorite poems, uh, by Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou is just so beautiful in her own way and just so powerful. If you haven't read, now 
I know why the caged bird sings. You should read it. It's a piece of history and all that she's endured, you know, and it's just beautiful to see a lotus blooming out of the mud like that, that one can have so much trauma and so much against you and just shine. <laughs> Isn't that how we are, though? Just like flowers. So this is one of my favorite poems by her. It's called Still I Rise because she was, when I heard it, she was giving it to a, a speech for a group of women graduates. It was a commencement speech um, And these women were uh, African-American women at Spelman University in Georgia, and she went to give them this this inspiring talk about ancestry and how they were there standing on the shoulders of their mothers and grandmothers. And and then this poem she kind of dedicated. So it's been... So I'll try to read it with some of the... I can't really do it like Maya, but I'll try. (laughs) So anyway, she writes, And still I rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides, just like hopes springing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head lowers eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries. Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard? Because I laugh like I got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Uh, From a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling I bear in the tide, leaving behind nights of terror and fear. I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear. I rise bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise. So let's just sit for a moment. And breathing, coming back to the heart. Feeling whatever's present, feeling the body on the ground, 
the hands touching. And gratitude for our time here together. So appreciate all of us. And may we rise together, all women everywhere, all ages, to know their true nature. Thank you. We have a little time for stretch or if you want to take a little walk outside before we have. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.